You were in um, solitary confinement for, for ten and a half months. Ten and a half months. That seems like torture. And I experienced some miraculous things in solitary. I'm freaking out. I'm in a cell. I'm freaking out. I'm like, what the hell? And I had a Bible in my hand. I said, I need you to speak with me. So I, I close my eyes. I open the Bible. I point to a random verse, and the verse was, "I am yours, and you are mine. I have redeemed you and called you by name, O Jacob." Oh yeah. Sometimes in politics, one sits on the sidelines. Sometimes one grabs the bull by the horns. Sometimes one wears the bull horns, as we have in the case of my guest today, Jacob Chansley, sometimes called the QAnon shaman, sometimes called the horn hat guy. I will just call you Jacob. Jacob, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, before we begin... This episode is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Go check out expressvpn.com slash MichaelYT today. Jacob, we're here in Phoenix, Arizona. We're in Phoenix because you are not presently permitted to leave the state. You have gotten out of prison. You've gotten out of a halfway house. Now we're sitting in a warehouse in Arizona. How'd you get here? Well, um, I drove. <laughs> but you're not you're you're out of prison you're you're but you, there are still issues that are working their way through the courts yes yeah so my lawyer filed a motion to vacate my conviction and my sentence due to the fact that the footage that was on tucker carlson was not in the discovery that was given to my previous defense attorney because the story about you and the footage that we all saw is that you led a violent insurrection, a coup d'etat on January 6th, and you were kicking your way through barricades, and you were, I don't know, going to take over the country, make yourself emperor. And then we saw this footage that showed that you were kind of just walking through the Capitol, flanked, it seemed, by police officers. Uh, it, it was just totally different from what the media had said. Are you allowed to talk about it? I don't. Well, because of the motion in the courts, my attorney has advised me not to say too much at all regarding that because litigation sucks and it's it's a long process and the government will will and can use anything you say and twist it to make you look a certain way that is going to give more credence to their case. But I assure you there's a very good reason why they were escorting me. Very good reason, but I can't talk about it. Okay, but you can at least talk about what led you to the Capitol with the horns, with the face paint. How'd you, how'd you end up there? Well, I've been dressing this way for over 10 years. This is a shamanic regalia, okay? The, the, the feds haven't given me back my original headdress. They still have my headdress. They still have, uh, I had to make this. This is a replacement. Yes. The feds still have your... They still have the original. Okay. The coyote skins, the coyote tails, all of that stuff. They also have my staff. They have my phone. They still have all that stuff. And they're not going to give it back until this motion has processed through the courts. But you've been wearing this for 10 years. Yes, I've been wearing this regalia for over 10 years. Um, the original regalia was made of coyote skin and coyote tails. Now, in the Diné, or Navajo tradition, the coyote is the trickster or the deceiver. So I had the trickster by the tails. I'm wearing the trickster skin because if the trickster messes with the buffalo, he gets the horns. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So there's always symbolism in everything it is that I do. 
And I'm practicing an ancient form of uh, hiyoka shamanism in one way or another. It's almost like a, uh, a way of shocking the cognitive system through imagery, through an appearance. And that cognitive shock allows the hiyoka shaman to come to the tribesmen, come to the people and say, hey, your cultural paradigm is not what reality actually is. Hmm. So you, you wore this on January 6th and before that to shock people. Well, kind of. It's more so like, first of all, Hioka also dressed this way to shock or, uh, or chase away evil spirits. It's a matter of being intimidating to evil, to evil spirits, to evil presences, to evil vibes. So it's about uh, being intimidating to evil while at the same time shocking the cognitive system that is this pre-programmed, neuro-linguistically programmed system of cultural paradigms. Culture is programming. Right. It's an operating system like a computer. And so as human beings, we need to upgrade our operating system in order to fully understand what reality is all about. So now I, I want to get to the January 6th capital stuff. But I got to ask, how did you get into shamanism? Well, I've always been interested in it ever since I was a kid. You know, uh, I knew like the Native American shaman, the guys wearing the headdresses and the face paint or the, you know, the horns and stuff. I was like, they know something. They're, they're pounding their drum. They're singing their songs. They're dancing. They're drinking, you know, peyote tea or eating mushrooms. Like, what do they know? Like, why would somebody do that? So I was very curious from a very early age. And I got into it, really got into the shamanic path. Um, after I got out of the Navy and then it really like started full, like head on going into it, just diving right in, in 2012. I think a lot of people don't even know that you were in the Navy. So thank you for your service. My pleasure. I, I think this whole interview is just going to be a series of rewinding because <laughs> the, the story gets more interesting right. even the further back you go. It's a very patriotic, normal kind of thing to do is to, to join the Navy. So this is pre-shaman stuff. Why'd you join the Navy? Well, because I wanted to serve God and country. Then tell me about the shift. You're in the Navy. You, you get out. Why, why'd you get out? Well, I refused the anthrax vaccine. Hmm. So because I refused the anthrax vaccine, they gave me a general discharge under honorable conditions. It's like I never joined. I don't get my uh, GI bill, but I also don't get a tainted record. Okay. Right? So I was refusing vaccines before it was cool. Hmm. Wow. I, I've heard the anthrax vaccine is also the most painful one among my military vet friends. And so you were skeptical of the vaccine. What, what didn't you like about the vaccines? Well, I did research. Hmm. You know, I looked into it. I didn't just trust the government, which I don't think anybody should just trust the government. You know, they uh, have a history of not being trustworthy. Um, there were people that were crippled due to blood clots in their legs. There are people that actually died from it. There's all sorts of negative effects. And it's not just one shot. The anthrax vaccine is a series of shots, kind of like the COVID one. So you say, okay, I'm anti-vax, but it was from the physical threats of it. It wasn't a, say, a religious opposition to it or something like that. Well, once I really started to do research on vaccines and the people that are pushing them and making money off of them, it really became clear that there was ulterior motive, not just in the military, but abroad. Well, I, I remember when the COVID vaccines came out, we were told that they're, they're totally fine, they're very effective, they're very safe. And so they made all these scientific claims that turned out to be a little bit dubious. But also the, the vaccines were produced from research that involved aborted fetal, fetal tissue. Yeah. yeah. And, and so 
plenty of people had religious objections to it. I didn't know. I assumed that one could get out of that requirement for their work or even in the military with a religious exemption, but, but a lot of people were denied those exemptions. So in any case, you were not given an exemption. You were, you were told, take the anthrax vax or you're out of the Navy. Mm-hmm. You get out of the Navy. Then you say you got into some of the shaman stuff. Now, forgive my prejudice, but it would seem if you join the Navy, you're probably like a clean cut, normal American kid. If you get into shaman stuff, that's usually sounds a little more hippy dippy, not, not the image that I have of a service member. Did something change in your life here or no? Is my prejudice just wrong? Well, join the military and tell me if you think people in the military are normal. Fair enough. Fair. Fair enough. It, it, there's a lot of good people in the military, but there's also a lot of strange ones. It's, it's an eclectic. Yeah, punch, very eclectic. Okay. So then how, how did you get into it? Well, I have, have become very dissatisfied with modern religious dogma. And in shamanism, the main thing about shamanism is personal experience. So what is your personal experience of God? What's your personal experience of the spirit world? What is your personal experience of uh, life in general? The interconnection that we all have to nature. How, how, what's your personal experience of nature? What's your personal experience of um, vibes from people? You know what I'm saying? So it's much more oriented around personal experience. Now, yes, there is tradition. Absolutely. But the tradition is largely there as almost like scaffolding to build up in this personal experience structure of understanding how reality works works through personal experience. Were you raised with any particular religious tradition? Uh, yeah, my mother tried raising my brothers and I Catholic, and uh, then she thought better of it. <laughs> you know, I, I was cradle Catholic. Then I, I became an atheist for like 10 years. And then I got a little bit hippy-dippy on my spiritual thoughts. But then I went back to being Catholic. Now I'm very old school, traditional Latin mass. So it's, I, have a, I do have a kind of personal interest in this. You were raised Catholic, didn't take those. So sometime in your childhood, you when stopped I, When doing. I became a teenager. Teenager, okay. That's kind of the same for me. Mm-hmm. And then you say, okay, I don't want the traditional stuff. I don't want the rigidity. I want more of a personal experience type religion. Now, is there a tension? Because on the one hand, you say you're, you're really taken with doing your own research, maybe scientific studies on the vaccines. You're asking these questions, applying rigor, applying logic. Uh, that's how I would approach religion, where I'd say, okay, I've got certain spiritual intuitions, but I want to apply rigor. I want to apply logic. I want to apply the- theology to it. But then when it comes to the religious stuff, you say, no, I... I I want to throw off those shackles and that rigidity, and I want just a, a t- totally personalist kind of relationship to religion. Well, no, no. Um, part of the reason why I rejected Catholicism is because I did some research, and I saw that the modern-day Catholic Church is a distillation of the ancient Roman Empire, hmm. and that when the when Constantine converted to Christianity on his deathbed and he changed the Roman uh, Empire from being pagan to being Christian, what they did is they just grafted all the pagan beliefs onto Christianity and they used Christian disciples and Jesus and all this other stuff to re- replace all of the pagan gods. 
you know, and all of the pagan statues, but the, the holidays remained the same. Yeah, I'm, I've heard these arguments. I'm, I'm not as uh, taken with them. I used to, I used to believe that, uh, like the dating of Christmas, for instance, or, or Easter, these sorts of things. I, I, I'm not convinced by that any longer. I think that some of the arguments about, say, the placement of Sol Invictus or Mithras or, or the, the Feast of the Unconquered Sun or whatever, or, uh, yes, Saturnalia, exactly, um, that I don't think if you look at, say, the chronography of, of 354, I don't think that one could really argue that those holidays, particularly Sol Invictus, predates Christianity and, and the dating of Christmas. I think there are stronger arguments for it in the other way. Um, but perhaps I'll be able to convince you on that later on. For now, it suffices to say you've, you've followed this more um, shamanic kind of religious path. Uh, how old are you about this time? Well, when I really started to investigate shamanism, I was about 20 years old. Okay. But I had had shamanic experiences since, you know, before I hit puberty. What were those like? Well, I... After watching the movie Jesus of Nazareth at 10 years old during spring break uh, in 1997, I was very inspired uh, to do my own communion. And so I grabbed a bottle of wine from the cabinet when my parents weren't looking. I grabbed some bread and I blessed the bread and blessed the wine. And um, I caught a little bit of a buzz because I kept drinking the wine, but I had a very deep and profound shamanic experience. I felt the presence of God, hmm. felt the Holy Spirit. It came over me. I was crying a lot, you know, so that was my first real shamanic experience of like mixing uh, religious ceremony with altered states of consciousness. Hmm. So that, that was where that started. But um, then I had, you know, experiences throughout my teenage years where I was uh, experimenting with cannabis and that really was mind blowing. And I, I had some pretty profound experiences with that that really answered all the questions that I had ever had about reality and God and who I was, what life was about, what reality was, all of that stuff. But it was all like a download. I couldn't actually articulate it like verbally to anybody. I just understood like intuitively, like instantly how everything fits together. Could you articulate it now? Oh yeah. So what were those insights? So are you familiar with the Fibonacci sequence and the, the spiral? Yeah. Right. Okay. So, and phi, the phi ratio, golden mean, yep. all that. Okay. So long and short of it is, is Everything is made up of interconnected electromagnetic fields. So everything is a, a, like a hologram of these interconnected electromagnetic fields on different sizes and scales. Each of these different electromagnetic fields is operating based on this spiral of energy from these higher dimensions to the lower dimensions, dispensing larger or smaller amounts of energy to these higher or lower dimensions based on the frequency of energy that each of these electromagnetic fields is based upon. Would you describe this as I've heard these sorts of ideas described as a new age? No. And that's what's interesting about shamanism. And this is the reason why I practice it is because if you look into shamanic culture, all religions are basically practicing different forms of shamanism. So for example, in shamanism, they believe in one unified field, a spirit, a great spirit, collective soul, God, you know, Brahma, Nirvana, whatever you want to call it, right? They also believe in the idea of prayer and meditation and getting in tune or in sync with this deity, with this, with this divine creator that is one, is one thing, right? 
They also believe in the idea of like singing, dancing, music, right? Drumming, okay? And the use of sound, right? They also believe in healing, miraculous healing. They also believe in things like sacraments Mm -hmm. and the use of plants in the ecosystem that are sacramental or or are uh, sacred in one way or another. And they use them either as incense or to consume them or whatever to uh, get in tune or in touch with God, with great spirit, whatever you want to call it. Um, And they also all believe in the spirit world and this idea of life after death. So what I've just described is every religion on the planet. And so this is why I practice shamanism because it's the first religion. It's the, it's the, fir, uh, the first, it's the foundation of all religions. But all those religions are, are different. They're distinct. Well, yes and no. When you get down to the shamanic roots of all of them, they all essentially believe in the same thing. They just have different labels. And that would make sense considering everybody speaks different languages. Hmm. Okay. I'm a little skeptical of this because it seems to me the devil's in the details always. You know, there are similarities between uh, Christianity and Islam, maybe even between Christianity and Buddhism. But it seems to me there are stark differences, too, in the view of who God is. God is either part of the world or separate from the world, our relation to him. Uh, So I do wonder if there are some distinctions here. Uh, But but the impulse, at, at the very least and your pull toward shamanism is that it seems to be universalized. Yes, universal. And, and, and primitive in that it's a kind of proto-religion that, in your mind, uh, has parts in all of these other religions. Well, so, but the thing is, is it's really not primitive. Or, and the reason why I say that is because the shamans, they understood quantum physics before quantum physicists did. They understood the rule of sound, uh, the role of sound and the rules of physics long before they were ever discovered, discovered by Western philosophers and physicists. And they, they gained these understandings based on personal experiences. You see, now part of why shamanism is so important to me is because it's about understanding what reality is, how reality works and how it is that we play a role in that reality, like the power of manifestation, for example, or the law of attraction and things of that nature. So, so what is your role? Well, you see, so like I was saying, everything is made up of these uh, infinitely interconnected electromagnetic fields of different higher, you know, dimensions, times, scales of energy, et cetera. Um, so human beings are like right in the middle between the extremely infinitely small and the extremely infinitely large. And because we're kind of like right in the middle, we're like antenna for what quantum physicists call non-local consciousness. They, they say that basically consciousness is not produced in the brain through complex neural activity, but rather consciousness is produced in the universe, like the laws of physics. And we are a antenna for that consciousness, for that self-awareness signal that permeates all things. And so our role then becomes one of almost like co-creation that, that it's like reality is like 90, 95% created. And then we have the choice, free will, to choose which reality we wish to embody based on the cycling of this energy. So if you look into the HeartMath Institute and the role that frequencies play in our DNA and the activation of antenna on our DNA that send and receive light and information, then you'll realize that these things send and receive light and information with non-local consciousness or this larger unified energetic field that is conscious. 
God is conscious, right? God certainly is, yeah. So the idea here is that we are a part of this interconnected whole. And very similar to how a computer can change things on the internet by changing the code of this cloud of electromagnetic frequencies, right? Changing the code. We as human beings are like computers. And it's like this non-local consciousness signal is like Wi-Fi or the internet. And so through our thoughts, through our emotions, through our words, through our actions, we influence the code or the matrix of reality itself. Now, couldn't I just say that I'm a human being and I've got free will and I do something. And when I do something, when I act in the world, that changes the world. Yes. Is that what you just said? Basically. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I totally agree with that. And Therefore, we do all have roles to play in the world, and we have given circumstances, but we can also act on those circumstances. And so you're choosing to act. Of course, politics and political activism is a very specific form of acting in order to change the world. At what point are you drawn to political activism? Well, I consider it more so spiritual activism. Because the whole reason our socioeconomic and geopolitical systems are so corrupt and so askew is because our spiritual systems are so corrupted and so askew. So our spiritual perspective has been so heavily distorted that it has created a reflection of that distortion in our socioeconomic and geopolitical systems. And that's why we're running into the issue we're running into. If we understood the real nature of reality, then we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in. It's because of our ignorance. It's because of this crisis of consciousness that is here on the planet that everything is so bad. You see, so I'm trying to take the knife out of the hand, not put a Band-Aid on the wound. I'm a spiritual activist. I'm trying to bring spiritual principles that are founded not only in modern science, but also in ancient traditions and fuse them together so that people can gain a larger, grander understanding of reality and therefore create better socioeconomic and geopolitical systems. So I broadly agree that the political problems are are religious and spiritual problems. I disagree in that I don't think it's just a matter of people not possessing sufficient knowledge or consciousness. I suspect that the reason that the world has fallen as it is is because of original sin. And I think that uh, you're, you're totally right that these political systems are just filled with evil. But I think it's because the Christian view is that uh, we're governed by principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. And uh, the Gnostic view is this view that there's this secret knowledge, that if we just get the secret knowledge, that the knowledge itself and consciousness itself will, will change things. I take it you're more of the Gnostic view, that there's a kind of a knowledge and a consciousness we have to attain, and then we won't have this evil in the world anymore. Yes, to a certain extent. So look at it like this. All of the capitals in the United States, state capitals and our nation's capital, are all built on electromagnetic ley lines. Are you familiar with ley lines? Not really, no. Okay, so ley lines in in the simplest terms are like rivers of electromagnetic energy that run all around the planet. Our planet has an electromagnetic field, right? So these ley lines go and they surround the planet, but they also go all the way down to the core of the planet because that's essentially, they're all one, right? Now, where it is that these ley lines come across the surface of the planet and where they crisscross each other, that's where all these ancient sacred sites like pyramids, obelisks, ancient temples, um, even medicine wheels in the Native American tradition, that's where it is that they have been placed because these 
areas are like centers for heightened electromagnetic activity. And there's also the placement for vortexes that are in these ecosystems. And these vortexes govern the balance of the ecosystem based on the distribution of nutrients, water, et cetera, minerals, et cetera. Now, all of our Capitol buildings and Washington, D.C., all of like the Capitol, the White House, the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, all of these things are built on ley lines. Okay, the Vatican built on ley lines. That also has an obelisk. The London Palace built on ley lines also has an obelisk. Okay, the pyramid in Giza, the pyramids in China, the pyramids in Mesoamerica, all built on electromagnetic ley lines, right? Now, each of these buildings is writing law, right? What is law? Law is words or code. And that code is dictating our thoughts and our emotions, and therefore our behavior based on what we can buy, what we can sell, what is legal, what is illegal, etc. Now, if we have a corrupt globalist oligarchy that has infiltrated our system to create laws that favor them, then we have essentially a Trojan horse riding bad code, right? And very similar to how if you get a virus in a computer, that virus in the computer can end up changing the code or the software to where all of the energy within that, uh, that cycled through that computer gets segued over to one portion of the computer, right? And it slows the computer down dramatically, right? So if we look at the earth, like it's a gigantic supercomputer of sorts, and we see these globalist uh, less than one percenters infiltrating the system, affecting the code so that all of our hard work, all of our time, all of our energy, all of our money goes to feed them and their less than one percent, their debt-based currencies, their less, there's 150 uh, corporate international entities, their uh, corrupt governments, et cetera then we begin to see how it is that similar to a virus in a computer, all of our time, energy, all of our work, all of our money is going to feed them these less than one percenters. So it's the, the, the less than one percenters. These are the globalists. Okay. But it's not just the Democrats. It's not just the... Oh, it's, it's Democrats and Republicans. Okay. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's a uniparty in D.C. But it's also important to understand that what we're talking about here, what, what's happened here in America has happened all over the world in all of the countries that have a central banking system, a debt-based currency. Okay. So I'm trying to figure out the timeline here of the obelisks and the ley lines and the nefarious powers. When when did it all go bad? Were these institutions ever good? Were they ever uh, just or anything like that? Or was it always bad? When they built the Capitol in D.C., that was already rotten at that point. No, in my opinion, from my reading of history, when it comes to the... the, So George Washington was a Mason. Yeah. A lot of our founding fathers were Masons. Now, what they were attempting to do was to get away from the attempt to build the new world order in Europe and and have that be brought over here to America. Okay, so they were basically giving the finger to the globalist elite at the time over in Europe, the crown and the masons that were over there that were attempting to control all the resources and all the labor in the known world at the time. But they were Freemasons too. Yes, but not all Freemasons are bad. Okay. Okay, so the founders understood the power behind money They understood the power behind the ley lines. They understood the power behind law. They understood the power behind the government's monopoly on the initiation of force. 
They also understood the power behind uh, owning and controlling the resources, the labor, and the transportation of those things, right? So they were trying to create a new system, something that had never been done before, a Greco-Roman democratic republic, a constitutional republic, where the government recognizes God as the ultimate authority and that our rights come from God, not from the government. You see, so in the process, they were creating a system that allowed human beings to practice these God-given freedoms, these God-given rights, these unalienable rights without government interference. Hence, we get the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, etc. You, and you don't see that as being just an extension of, of the English tradition? You know, that in, in England, even with a king, they, they recognized that God gives us certain rights, that some of these rights are protected in traditions and constitutions like Magna Carta, say, or beginning with Magna Carta and then coming on through the English common law tradition. Uh, or, uh, I don't know, you're saying it's, t- so what happens in America, it's totally different. Well, it's, it's something that's never been done before. But I really yep. do think that the founders messed up in some way, shape, or form because they did not recognize that the Native Americans here were more free than any European could have possibly dreamed of. And so they failed to integrate like the Iroquois. Are you familiar with the Iroquois and their republic? Yeah. Yeah. So they failed to integrate that kind of a understanding about nature, about uh, symbiosis with other nations, with other people, with other tribes. So the, the Iroquois were cannibals, right? I mean, the Iroquois, it wasn't all like Pocahontas well, avatar stuff. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, here's the thing. There's a lot of misinformation out there regarding Native American tradition. That's just all there is to it. Um, the Native Americans were the first to get screwed over by the feds. Okay. And if the feds are willing to lie about modern American citizens, why wouldn't they be willing to lie to, for an agenda way back in the day? Um, now, regardless of those lies, let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater here. Okay. The Native American tradition of symbiosis with the environment, the understanding of factoring in the seventh generation any time that a, the tribe comes to a crossroads and asking ourselves, how will this decision affect seven generations from now? We don't do that. Yeah, right. We don't, we don't think seven months into the future. Oh, I know. Seven generations. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. I'm thinking centuries ahead. I'm thinking seven generations ahead. And I'm saying to myself, based on where we're at now, if we continue to go down this road, where are we going to be? And this kind of dives into this idea of uh, my care for the environment. Because I have a oneness with nature. So I view nature as an extension of myself. Technically, nature is an extension of everybody. You know, we're a, we are a piece of nature. I, I consider myself distinct from the natural environment. I consider myself, as the Christian view, that the natural environment is here uh, for me, that I am a steward of these things, uh, and that I, I am here to serve God, and I'm distinct from God in that way. Though, uh, to your point on religion, there is such a thing as sacrament, and there is such a thing as communion. So, uh, that's an important aspect too. But but I guess the maybe the, the difference in view that we have here is I don't really think we're all just kind of one. You know, I, I think that we're rather distinct and individual. Well, that's called ego. Yep. Um, and I do everything I can to dissolve that. 
in myself. I'm of the belief that the only way that we can have any sort of an objective view of reality is if we dissolve that ego, right? So when I've had boundary dissolving experiences, either through meditation, through tattooing, through fasting, through sexual abstinence, or through psychedelic experiences, I have had this feeling and this experience of boundary disillusion. This ego death occurs and the objective reality of interconnectivity is what I'm served, is what God gives to me. And it, this is part of the reason why shamanic practitioners always pray before they do any of these things, why they, it is part of a, a ceremony where you're, the whole point is to get in touch with God and to dissolve the ego so that these transcendental experiences can be had. Now, if, in what you're saying about like nature and being separate, if I were to ask you, are you your eyeballs? I'm you not. would say, no, you're not your eyeballs. You're not your fingernails. No. You're not your liver. No. You're not your brain, right? You're all of these things creating a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. And crucially, I'm soul as well. Right, right. So physical, right. but also metaphysical. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so that metaphysical soul, what is that? That it's this, the... Technical language would be that the soul is the substantial form of the body. So the body is matter. And as you say, it's not, it's not neatly divisible like you'd divide a catalytic converter from the other right. parts of a car. It's part of the whole of my body. So, you know, if you kill me, my liver's not going to do a lot of good, at least, right. you know, after a short period of time. Uh, so the, the body is the matter and the soul is the form. And then the together, there are they form a hylomorphic unity, which is myself. That's my conception. Okay. So your body is made up of energy, yeah? Uh, if you were to break down every piece of your, your being, and you just like, okay, you're matter, made up of atoms. Stuff. What are atoms yeah. made up of? Quarks, you know, and you keep breaking it down. Eventually, you just get to like this quantum foam of energy, right? I'll take your word for it. Okay. So that means that your soul, your very being which is interconnected with the body is also made up of energy. It's made up of this pure transcendental uh, everything stuff. Well, I guess this would be an, another distinction perhaps between our views of the world. I, I don't think that the metaphysical stuff is, uh, can be simplified down to physical stuff. I think they're distinct in the way that uh, a, a symbol is distinct from the thing that it symbolizes. I think that you can get all the way down on the physical level to my body and to all the little molecules and atoms and quarks and whatever else is there, but you're not going to find the soul at the physical level because the soul is metaphysical and, and they're joined together in a real way, but not in a way that can be reduced to physicality. Right, right. Well, energy isn't per se physical. Energy is metaphysical. It is, it is beyond the physical. It is something that transcends physicality because our bodies are a frequency of energy manifesting in a physical form, right? So the whole reason why I'm bringing that up is this. If you are not your body on its own, if your body isn't just its organs, right? And you are this whole that is greater than the sum of its parts, then the same forces of creation the same forces of creation that created your body also created the earth. They created the sun. They created the entire galaxy, the whole universe, right? So if you are not your eyes or your liver or your fingernails, but you are this whole that is greater than the sum, that also means that 
you are the sun, you are the earth, you are interconnected to all of these things on an energetic level. And the whole point of these transcendental experiences is to dive into that level where everything is one. And to have the experience of bliss, it is a very real bliss, to have that experience of bliss as often as possible. What strikes me most about that explanation is the way that you were painted by the media and continue to be painted by the media is that you're a far-right, radical extremist. And the same things they say about me. But our views are very, very different on these, on these topics. And your description of things Certainly, if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I would say this sounds like a far left-wing person, not like a far right-wing person. And maybe you don't have this left label or right label in your own self-conception anyway, but it is striking to me that this sounds kind of lib, and yet you're out there for Donald Trump and for the conservatives and for the Republican Party. Is that... Would you describe your political activism as right-wing even, or no? I'm a centrist, okay? I believe that there are things that the Republicans have that are, or the conservatives have that are right, and that they're just completely off the wall wrong. And it's the same thing with the libs, with the liberals. There's things where I agree with them, but there's other things where I'm like, that's absolutely ludicrous. You're, that's insane. What are some of the examples of, these things, of for the left or the right? Well, a good example for the right would be uh, their stance on things like cannabis and psychedelic therapy. They think that it's the devil. And I think that's absolutely ludicrous. I don't call it the devil, though. I do say it's the devil's lettuce. Yeah, that, that, yeah exactly. It's the devil's lettuce or, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, somehow related to evil. And that's not the case at all. Um, but like with the, with the liberals, like, okay, I, they're behind the whole thing with psychedelic therapy and cannabis. But then they're also for this idea of giving children hormones and cutting off their genitals before they hit puberty. Yeah. That's absolutely ludicrous. You know, I, I'm of the belief when it comes to transgenderism that like there's no such thing as transitioning too late, but there is such a thing as transitioning too early. If you want to be whatever you want to be after you have reached adulthood, I don't care. You want to modify your body? I don't care. You should be perfectly allowed to do that. That's part of what freedom's all about. But leave the kids alone. Leave them alone. If you're, for example, if your child identifies as a heroin addict and they're like, oh, you know what? Um, I, I, I like the way that guy dresses. I like the way he looks. I, I like the fact that he's injecting this stuff into his body. I want to try that. Are you going to go out and be like, well, we'll just go get you a heroin kit, Bobby. You know best. You're a kid you know after best. all. <laughs> okay. You know, oh, you want to drink alcohol? That's fine. <laughs> you identify as an alcoholic because dad's an alcoholic? Okay. No. Okay. So then, you know, so it's like this. If, according to the liberal perspective, if gender is just a construct, then how and why is it that cutting off somebody's gender, genitals is somehow affirming their gender? <laughs> It seems to be denying their gender. Yeah, well, yeah, but so, but my point is, is that there's a lot of logical fallacies in that argument, just like there's logical fallacies in the arguments that are on the right as well. You know, for example, the death penalty. The conservatives will say that's a that's a, a baby in the womb. That's a life. Life is sacred. Don't harm the baby, which I'm all for. Yeah. Okay. Totally agree with. But then at the same time, they will go and say that we need to kill inmates. And we need to somehow give the government permission to kill its own citizens? I would say that. Well, but I In some cases. I, but I, but I, look, and I understand why. But here's the thing. 
there have been a lot of people on death row that have been found to be innocent. Yeah. Okay. And if all it takes for the government to, to get rid of their opposition is smear them enough and, and frame them enough to where they end up being executed as innocent people, then we, the very government that we are saying is untrustworthy, we are now trusting to kill its own citizens. Hmm. I don't know about you. I wouldn't trust the Biden administration with the death penalty. I wouldn't trust the Biden administration to pay the highway. Yeah. So, so well, then why are we trusting them with the death penalty? Well, I suppose the, the people who support the death penalty, such as myself, or... Well, really, just anyone who supports any system of law and order, you, you, you just have to have some kind of law and order, I guess. And so the, if the civil authority is compromised and corrupt and incompetent and all the things that it is, that's a horrible problem and we need to fix it. Uh, but you can't do without law, you, you know, the, the law being an ordinance of reason for the common good by him who has care of the community. And unfortunately, this jerk, Joe Biden, has care of the community, so now we've got to deal with that. So there are always going to be those imperfections. Nevertheless, we still have to enforce the law. But even, not- even if it's being uh, uh, unduly enforced against certain political enemies and uh, political friends are getting off the hook for much more heinous crimes as we're seeing around us today. I'm not advocating for not having law and order. What I'm saying is that it is hypocritical for the conservatives to say that they support life and that all life is precious. And then at the same- No, we would say innocent life. Okay, innocent life. Okay. Yeah. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Yes, but, but okay, also but, so the civil I'm authority not does not bear the sword in vain. Up, but I'm not saying we shouldn't lock these people up if they've committed murder or child rape or whatever. But vengeance okay. is mine, saith the Lord. Why should we well, lock well, them up? Because there, there's a difference between killing somebody and, and imprisoning them. Yeah. Okay. I know that there's a very large difference between the death penalty and prison. Sure. I've been to prison. So I know the kind of treatment that pedophiles and child rapists get in prison. And the death penalty. Well, well, some, right? both, so the, but it's, in some cases, it's, it's the death by a thousand cuts. Because, like, for example, there was a dude that was in the prison that I was at where he, his crime was heinous. And it was against a child. And um, he had his ass beat several times on the yard. Okay. And it came out of nowhere each and every time. And a lot of the time, the person that did it would end up leaving the prison. And then somebody new would come and they didn't know his crime until they found it out. And then they wanted to beat his ass. You see what I'm saying? So vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He couldn't leave that prison because that's one of the only safe places for him. You see? Rel- relatively. Yeah. Relatively. Exactly. How- and, so do you see what I'm trying to say though, about how like, look, if God doesn't take their life, then there's a reason. God can take anybody's life like that, yep. right? And if you believe in God, then you believe that. So there has to be a reason why God is not taking the life of these individuals. And should the power that, that God has not chosen to use be given to the government and our bad judgment, especially if there's a corrupt government hmm. that's in place? St. Paul would say yes, but perhaps a, a point for a later debate. I'm curious about how people reacted to you in the prison. Interesting curiosity. Um, some of the minority communities for a brief time thought that I was racist because they watched CNN. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but then all it took was five minutes of conversing with me and they realized this guy's not racist at all. This guy's all right. I actually kind of like him, you know? 
So no one tried to beat you up or anything like that? No, I was there. I, I, I was at a prison. Uh, the prison I was at, there was a riot. And uh, actually, a lot of the guys that were in the unit that I was in, as I was like looking out the window, they're like, Chansley, get away from the window. They see you. They might come in here and pull you out and beat your ass. So get away from the window. There's Look, there's good people in prison that just made really bad decisions. Of course. Right? But there's also, and anybody that's been to prison will tell you, there's some scumbags. There's some dirtbags. There's some not good people. And they deserve to be in prison. How were you treated by the prison itself? I, we've read all sorts of stories about January 6th people who, who had pretty difficult treatment, solitary confinement, that sort of thing. How, how was your treatment? Well, in D.C., when I was in the D.C. jail or D.C. gulag, that was the first time I ever experienced racism in my entire life. Um, and then after I got moved to Alexandria, Virginia, I was in solitary the whole time. So 10 and a half months. They said it was for COVID. And then they said it was for my protection. But the thing is, is that when they transferred me to other locations, they put me in general population. So then that goes right out the window. Hmm. These reasons go right out the window. I think personally that it was more so about trying to break my spirit than it had anything to do with trying to keep me safe or, you know, keeping COVID at a minimum or whatever. You were in um, solitary confinement for, for 10 and a half months? 10 and a half months. How did you keep any of your wits about you in that time? It seems, it seems like torture. Um, God, my shamanic breathing techniques, prayer, meditation, um, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I experienced some miraculous things in solitary. Uh, a good example would be, so when I was in Florence, Arizona, when I first got arrested, they just arrested me based on misdemeanor charges, okay? The misdemeanor charge was like trespassing or something? Yeah, you know, parading on capital grounds, that kind of stuff. And then about a, like four or five days in, they slapped me with two felonies. And then the maximum sentence for those two felonies was 25 years total. So the, as I read, again, I don't know that I should believe any reporting on you or January 6th, but what I read was the felony was obstructing an official proceeding. Yes. And then the other one was like basically rioting. Okay. Which they had no evidence that I was rioting. 25 they, years. It's a maximum sentence. So like if I, and the judge that I had when I, you know, pleaded guilty and, and at my sentencing, I said, you know, I thought I was looking at 20, 25 years in prison. He said, if you would have gone to trial, he said, you did, you did the smart thing because if you would have gone to trial, you were looking at something like 20 years. So you avoided trial by pleading guilty. Yes. And apologizing, saying you regretted it. Well, you know, I, I don't want to go too much into that because of the motion, you know, Got it. Um, but Long story short, the experience that I had after that, those felonies were slapped on me, right? I'm freaking out. I'm in a cell. I'm freaking out. I'm like, what the hell? You know, God, you know, show me you're with me. Show me that you're hearing my prayers. You know, give me a sign, please. I have, and I had a Bible in my hand. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to open this Bible and I'm going to point to a random verse with my eyes closed. And I need you to speak with me. Tell me you're with me. Tell me that you're, you, this is going to be okay. So I, I close my eyes, I open the Bible, I point to a random verse, and the verse was, I am yours and you are mine. I have redeemed you and called you by name, O Jacob. Oh, yeah. And that just rocked my world. Because the likelihood, the statistical likelihood right. that that would happen is so astronomical, that my name would be in it, 
of all things, talking about redeeming me, I'm yours, you are mine, like, whoa. And there was other things like, for example, I'd be in my cell in solitary confinement in Alexandria and I'd be praying and praying and praying during the day and like, God, like, why, you know, why'd you ask me to go through this? Why'd you ask me to do this? Like, this is so hard. You know, the media is lying, the government's lying and I can't do anything about it. I can't defend myself. Please give me a sign that you're still with me. Give me a sign that not everybody believes this stuff, you know, et cetera. And then that night I would get letters, like a stack of letters. And then I'd read the letters and there'd be biblical verses in those letters that correspond with my prayers. Or there'd be people that are being like, we don't believe anything in the media. We, we know that what they're saying is a lie and blah, 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 blah. We're supporting you. We're praying for you. All of that stuff. So all, so now here's the interesting part. The letters were dated a week prior to my prayer. So people sent the letters out a week before I got them. So that means that God had somebody write a letter a week prior to answer my prayers a week later. That's a notion of providence, right? Divine a, providence, yeah. that is correct. So, wow, that's, that's really beautiful. And it must've been very encouraging. Yes, well, and then to have Tucker Carlson release his footage three weeks before my release. Yeah. And there's, it was just enough time for people to be outraged about the fact that I was still in prison. And it was also just enough time to like exonerate me in the court of public opinion before I was released. You see, it, it, coincidentally, I was on his show that night and I didn't know about it. I, I don't watch cable news. I love Tucker personally, but I just don't I just don't watch cable news. And I happened to be booked on his show and I was sitting in the green room and I said, what is this? The January 6th tapes? What is this? And so I remember I was watching it in in this in the green room as this is airing. I said, oh, a lot of what we were told about January 6th just wasn't true. The, the government had withheld a lot of pretty important information. So I get all the post-January 6th stuff, or at least I've got now a clearer picture of a lot of it. But what about the days before you go there? What impelled you to go? What did you hope to accomplish? How did you think January 6th was going to turn out? What was the point? Take me through the days and weeks before. Well, I had gone to D.C. on December 12th for the second MAGA Million March. And there were people around the Capitol building, people around the Supreme Court. Everything was fine. Everything was peaceful. It was all good. You know, so I thought that's what we were going to experience on January 6th. Another peaceful demonstration. Now, this is the other thing. This is another motivation and reason for me going. D.C. is built on ley lines. Okay, so. As a shamanic practitioner and somebody that understands the power of the ley lines, as well as somebody that understands the power of these sacred buildings, et cetera, et cetera, these are sacred sites, essentially. Then if there's going to be a million people or more than a million people in Washington, D.C. on that day, then it is my duty as a shamanic practitioner to be there, to input into the grid system the most high vibe, positive you know, vibes possible. So you were there to, through your shamanic practice, protect all the people that were showing up. Yes, and and uh, the planet as a whole, because with that much energy, it can become unstable. You know, and that's why I say there's a very good reason why the cops were escorting me around the building, and it wasn't because they thought I was dangerous. 
It is a little weird that they were walking you in particular around. I can't talk about it. Uh, you can't talk about not it. Right I, now, I'm, I'm, I'm not just gonna, telling you, like, gonna... like, there's a very good reason why. For both of our parts. And it has nothing to do with being a Fed or an actor or whatever. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the reasons I just gave you for being in D.C.? I don't think you're a Fed or an actor. I, I, I know that was kind of floating around for a while, but having talked to you now for, I don't know, 40 minutes or something like that, uh, yeah, I, don't, and I never really thought that, but I, I, I don't think that. So, I, well, one, once your case is resolved, I look forward to hearing the... Oh, I want to talk about blanks. it. Yeah. I, I want to talk about it. So you, you go there for that. Did you go there because you supported Trump or you thought the election was stolen or you, how, how much did affinity for Trump play a role in that? And, and then beyond protecting people and putting out the positive vibes, did you, did you think there would be some conclusion to the January 6th stuff that either he would remain the president or they would send the ballots back to the States or what? Did you have a vision of what would happen as a result of it? Yes and no. So there's a lot of people that were there because, you know, Trump asked people to show up. Now, look, I support a lot of what Trump has said and done. I don't agree with everything that he said and done. Um, but that doesn't mean that I, you know, I'm going to abandon the man. You know what I mean? Uh, any successful business owner knows that you don't want to have a room full of yes men, you know? So having some sort of a independent thought and critical thinking is not a bad thing. I was, it wasn't just about Trump, okay? And that's what I think a lot of people don't understand about what happened on that day. It wasn't just about Trump and the election. It was about being lied to about JFK hmm. for decades by the government and the media, okay? Trump released the autopsy. We now know he was shot by more than one bullet from more than one angle. Do we? Oh, yeah. It's in the autopsy. If I'm not mistaken, Trump declassified JFK's autopsy. And it, I mean, all you have to do is watch the video. He got shot by more than one bullet from more than one angle. I remember seeing okay. a story come out that the CIA had some pre-existing relationship with Lee Harvey Oswald. And I remember this kind of making it. I didn't look into it too much, so I don't really know anything about, about that. But And then they shot Lee Harvey Oswald. And then the guy, Jack Ruby, dies in jail. Okay, what the hell? Okay, so that's part of it. It's also part of it that like the media and the government have been caught in lie after lie after lie after lie, scandal after scandal after scandal. And then we get things like um, recent things like uh, weapons of mass destruction lied about weapons of mass destruction just so we can invade Iraq and take the gold and whatever it else was that was there that we wanted, the oil. Um, well, my, this was always one of my criticisms of the war in Iraq was I thought we didn't get the oil. I thought at the very least, let's get the oil. That was, I think Trump made that, that point well, too. He said, well, where, where was the oil? But, but the thing is, is that there's soldiers that have come back from Iraq talking about how they were forced to guard oil pipelines. Hmm. Soldiers that came back from Afghanistan talking about how they were guarding poppy fields. And is it just a coincidence that the poppy production, the, the opium production in Afghanistan went up to the 90% of the world's supply of, of heroin and opium. And then all of a sudden there's an opioid epidemic in the United States. And how that coincides with what the British were doing to the Chinese and doping them up during the opium wars so that they could control the people. Okay, so like this, this, these are techniques that are ages old. So like we're being lied to over and over again. Operation Fast and Furious. 
Okay, lied to. Um, Hillary Clinton, 33,000 emails. Okay, Benghazi, no justice whatsoever. No consequences. Okay, no consequences, corrupt justice system. Okay, then Trump is vilified over and over and over again after the same media apparatus basically worshiped him for 30 years and said he's the greatest yeah. dude ever. Okay, yeah, right. Pop you know. culture, yeah. entertainment oh, yeah. media, news media. Right, right. So there's all of that. And then there's Russia, 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 and the corruption behind all that with the intelligence community, with the DOJ, okay, with the media, and then pushing it and pushing it, only to find out that it was all lies. It was all BS, and they knew it. They knew it, okay? And then there's COVID and locking people in their homes and telling them, you are not essential. You are not valuable, basically. Stay at home. We don't need you. And then people lose their homes. People lose their cars. Their kids are hungry. You see what I'm trying to say? And then there's the riots uh, uh, in 2020. And no justice there. 95 to 90% of the charges filed against those rioters were dropped. Yeah, you look at the numbers, even just Manhattan and the Bronx, vast majority of these people get off maybe a slap on the wrist, maybe not even a slap on the wrist. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so you've got this sense of injustice at not just one politician or support for one politician, but this notion that the established power, the liberal establishment, call it, the, the, the regime. The uniparty. The uniparty is deeply corrupt. Yes. And so you support Trump then because what, Trump is just a wrench in the system? I support Trump because some of the things that he did, in particular, trying to end childhood human trafficking. That's the modern day slave trade. Okay, and there are more slaves now in the world than there ever has been in history. And I think everybody can be against human slavery. Okay, so why are we not trying to fight it? Why did Biden rescind that executive order? One of the first things he did about, you know, basically not making uh, child and human trafficking a priority for the DOJ. Why are they taking people that are on terrorism cases, child molestation, uh, molestation cases, murder cases, um, drug trafficking cases, why are they taking them off those cases at the FBI and putting them on misdemeanor cases for January 6th? (laughs) Why? Okay. And then, so for me, it's like, okay, what would evidence of government corruption look like? Right? 10% for the big guy, you know, wars in Ukraine, wars in Afghanistan, wars in Iraq, um, the Iran-Contra scandal, bringing cocaine into the country, you know, uh, uh, the list goes on and on and on. The Franklin cover-up with um, uh, Lawrence King. Are you familiar with that? Where no. they were basically raping kids and tra- trafficking drugs and doing satanic rituals in Nebraska. Lawrence King. Oh, yeah, the Franklin cover-up. But John DeCamp wrote a, a book about it and, it and how it involved Satanism and stuff like that. Okay? And so this I, is why— I, I do believe that—I don't know about this particular case or anything like that, but I've I've— read enough cases and heard enough credible stories from authorities to acknowledge there is a uh, clearly an occult aspect to some of these crimes that it's not just sex crimes or drug crimes or whatever but there there is an occult aspect to to at least a number of them yeah i'm i'm convinced of that so y- you're seeing all of this now is this QAnon? I don't know what QAnon is. I, all I know about QAnon is they say you're a QAnon person, and they say that QAnon's a right-wing thing, and I, the only time I ever hear about it is on CNN. Okay, so let's make a very clear distinction between Q and the Q posts, or the Q drops, and QAnon, and the QAnon community. Jacob, I don't know what any of these things are. Okay, so 
Let's break this down. Q is a psychological operation. Okay. Okay. Now, psychological operations are largely based on three factors. Number one is neuro-linguistic programming. That is the use of certain uh, words, linguistics, to program the neurons or the pattern of neurons in the brain, in, in particular the subconscious portion of the brain, to affect the way that a person consciously perceives reality. Okay. Okay. Number two, you have something called critical factor bypass. Critical factor bypass is where you saturate the entirety of the environment in the media, newspapers, magazines, television shows, in the corporate world, in banking, you name it, in schools colleges, you saturate all of them with a very specific message and you repeat it over and over and over and over again. Okay. Now what happens then is that the subconscious mind, because it sees it everywhere, it assumes that it must be true, that this has to be real because it's everywhere in the environment. So it programs, once again, the subconscious mind to affect the way the conscious mind perceives reality. Now, based on neurolinguistically programming the individual and mass neurolinguistically programming the populations through critical factor bypass. Why they call it that is because your critical thinking is bypassed because it's programmed the subconscious brain. That creates something called mass formation hypnosis. Okay. Where 25 to 30% of the population believes this external stimuli believes and is programmed by this material. They're just sheep. Sheeple. Sheeple. Okay. Okay. So in order for mass formation hypnosis to occur, that 25 to 35, 25 to 30% of the population has to gain some sort of heightened level of radicalism where they scream the loudest and then they get a hold of the levers of power. Right? Now, when it comes down to stopping this process from happening. All you need is 5% or more of the population to not become hypnotized and say, no, this is ludicrous. You are nuts. We are not doing that. Now we've seen the effects of mass formation hypnosis, critical factor bypass, and neuro-linguistic programming in Nazi Germany. We saw it with the Bolshevik revolution in Russia and the USSR. We saw in the Red Revolution in China and the Chinese Communist Party. Okay. So we've seen the effects of this process. And it is psychological warfare, okay? Now, when it comes to Q and the Q operation, and the reason I say it's a psychological operation is this. This is how it differs. The Operation Mockingbird Media, what I call the Mockingbird Media, Operation Mockingbird, CIA, infiltrating the media outlets, yep. right? So the Mockingbird Media uses the techniques I just laid out to program the populations so that they can use this propaganda to go to war. And then they can transfer public money into private hands. You see? So it's a, it's, it's a whole scheme. It's all about maintaining the status quo. Now, Q, Q is on the internet. It first started on 4chan, then on 8kun. And when I was looking at it from an ob- uh, objective perspective, what I saw was that Q was asking people questions, not giving them answers. What does the Mockingbird Media do? This is what happens. This is what it means giving people answers, neuro-linguistically programming people. How do you dissolve neuro-linguistic programming? How do you dissolve subconscious programming? You ask questions. Isn't that convenient, though? Because if you're asking questions, you can never be proven wrong, right? If I make a prediction and I say, uh, so-and-so is going to win the election, and then 
so-and-so doesn't win the election, then I look like I don't know what I'm talking about. But if, if someone calling himself Q just asks questions, then he can always sort of seem like he's right. right? I not, it's like Nostradamus or something, mm-hmm. right? You know, Nostradamus writes in these riddles. And so now, in, later on, we can look back in hindsight and say, oh, well, he was really predicting this event or that event. But maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. He, he was speaking in such an ambiguous way that, that his predictions could refer to almost anything. Right. But, That's the objection. Of it. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And, and you're right to a certain extent. However, this is how I came to these conclusions, that this is a psychological operation by the highest levels of military intelligence and the intelligence community. That Q, that Q itself. So Q is this person who's posting questions. I don't think it's a person. I think it's a group. So it's a, Q is a group that's posting questions on fora like 4chan or this other Acun, one. Yeah. A, Acun, yeah. And uh, you're saying that that is, an, is a PSYOP from the highest levels of government. Or, or I would say most likely highest levels of the military. Okay. Because military intelligence and the intelligence community tend to work together. Sure. Um, now, what led me to that conclusion is the numerical code in the Q drops themselves and the gap code between the time that Trump would tweet something and Q would do a Q drop and what is called the Q clock. Okay, so if you look into cryptology and encrypting information, then you will see that what the Q drops were doing was very, very similar to the way military intelligence communicates. And this is how it is that you're able to communicate a message in plain sight without the enemy knowing what exactly it is that you're saying because it's all encrypted, it's all encoded. Now, The numerical code, if you look at the numerical code and then you line that up with certain other, and you learn the numerical code, you can line it up in a way where these these numbers end up creating a much larger message. And it's the same thing with the Q clock. The Q clock is like a regular clock with 12 numbers, right? But above each of the numbers are dates. And each of these dates are different. Now, when you align all of these dates together and then you get all the Q drops that were on that day, then it creates a much larger message that is very interconnected with each other. But each of these dates, each of these drops is on a different day. So it's about spreading out this much larger message that when you put it together, put the puzzle together properly, the message becomes clear. So it's equivalent to military intelligence dumping a massive puzzle on the table of the internet and saying, figure it out. Why are they doing this? So that's a great question. How do you dissolve Mass, mass formation hypnosis. You have to get at least 5% or more of the population to reject the, the programming, the hypnosis, the narrative, right? How you get people to de-neurolinguistically program themselves? You ask them questions and then they do their own research, right? And then they come to the conclusions on their own. You can't just tell somebody the government's corrupt. You have to show them. And you know who Yuri Bezmenov is? Yes, Okay. Yeah. So, a Soviet guy. Yes. And he was a KGB operative in charge of psychological warfare, what they called ideological subversion, right? So think about this. Yuri Bezmenov said that the Soviets and the global communist conspiracy, which he said is very real, okay? And he would know. They infiltrate countries in particular, uh, he was talking about the United States, but all countries through a ideological warfare campaign, a psychological warfare campaign that is broken down into four parts. Demoralization, 
which takes a full generation, infiltrate the entertainment, infiltrate the schools, the colleges, infiltrate governments, infiltrate the media outlets, etc. Okay? Then indoctrinate or demoralize a whole generation of children. Then after that, you get destabilization. Now, what ends up happening there is that once that whole generation has been demoralized, then you use the infiltrators that did the demoralization in conjunction with the demoralized generation. And then they destabilize the system. And that takes a couple of years. Then once the system has been destabilized, that's when you get into the third part, crisis. So then this collapse of the supply chain, the failing of banks, um, the, uh, the housing market crash, et cetera, et cetera. These are the crises that occur, right? Then the last part is normalization. And what happens is that during the crisis portion, these infiltrators that did the demoralization, destabilization, they move into positions of power, high level positions of power. Then they normalize all of this stuff and they create a communist government, okay? Yeah. So, so how does this relate to Q? Yeah. Right? How this relates to Q is this. There are entities within our government, within what some people would call the deep state, okay? The bureaucracy, the intelligence apparatus, military intelligence, that do not want to see the United States of America fall. They do not want a new world order, one world government. They do not want these less than one percenters dictating our lives and the lives of our children. So the Q operation was done so that this demoralized population, which Yuri Bezmenov said, you could show people in black and white the truth and they won't believe it because they're so heavily demoralized. You could take them to the concentration camps and they will not believe it until they're behind the gates, right? How do you deprogram people? You give them questions, they do their own research, they come to their own conclusions and they see the government corruption on their own. They see the fences, they see the gates and they realize the system then what they have been told is for their security is actually for their enslavement or their imprisonment. And all it takes is 5%, right? So we have in the United States far more than 5% who could see through the BS. Yeah, right? certainly. I mean, if, if, if you're d defining that as people who know that the media and the government lie to us all the time, it was probably like 65%. <laughs> I don't know, it seems like a lot of people. Yes. And, and that's been true for a while, I think. Yes. So, so why do we need Q? Well, what are the things, and this is also important to understand about psychological warfare operations or psychological operations. The, the three main things that Q was talking about and that, that I think are the most important are the fiat debt-based currency and the Fed, okay? Number two, the child trafficking, human trafficking networks, the slave trade, right? Number three, the government corruption and how it's rooted in these things and how the government is using its monopoly on the initiation of force to enforce this new world order, one world government and subjugate anybody that's going to dissent, right? That's in my opinion, right? Okay. Now, infiltration instead of invasion, according to JFK, that's what we're talking about here, right? Infiltration instead of invasion. So if the entities that are running the global government's the banks, the child trafficking networks, using them to blackmail people through like, you know, Jeffrey Epstein and stuff like that, control governments, et cetera. If these individuals are doing all of that, then how is it that you're going to convince enough of the population that this thing is actually happening? They're going to have to look into it themselves and find all the dirt themselves, right? But that's, that's not, look at it like this. If those people that are trying to keep all this hidden 
are trying to stop QAnon or trying to stop Q from doing this, what are they going to do? They're going to create a straw man. QAnon, a right-wing conspiracy theory, right? That believe that there's reptilian overlords governing the, the world and all this other stuff. They're, then they're going to also infiltrate like and say JFK Jr. is alive and he's Donald Trump's vice president. Yeah, I saw something about that J- JFK Jr. has something to do with QAnon, yeah, well, see, but he doesn't. Well, this, or or that the earth is flat. Okay, so what this is about is these very real concepts of debt-based currency, child trafficking, government collusion, and blackmail, and all that stuff. They become then contaminated by JFK Jr., Flat Earth, reptilian overlords. And then so anybody that believes this other stuff now gets painted as a kook because the media shines the light on that portion of the population that's infiltrated. So, And you're saying even the term QAnon is a, that's just a... Okay, so... Then how would you how would you describe your views? You say I'm not part of QAnon. Well, the media gave me QAnon shaman. They, they uh, Alex yeah. Jones, he's the one that called me Q shaman. Then the media called me the QAnon shaman, and then every, and then they started saying I call myself that. That never happened. So never happened. So I okay, I'm getting a clearer picture of this now. Your your claims are much more modest, and I guess the Q people whatever they would call themselves, their claims are more modest than what I've seen in the headlines or CNN says they believe JFK Jr. is still alive and whatever else. And you're saying, no, we just think that the political order is very corrupt and people are blackmailing each other and there is unaccountable power and there's some weird, creepy sex stuff. Obviously, you see Jeffrey Epstein, you know, that's that's before our very eyes. Okay, so... Fine. Now I see that this is a, a much more modest claim than the CNN people tell me. But then what is the claim? I mean, who are these guys? Is it the Illuminati? Is it the, the, the lizard people? Is it the CIA? Is it the Soviet communists and Yuri, Yuri Bezmenov? Who, what is this? Okay. So what we're talking about is something that stretches back all the way into antiquity. Okay, the Canaanite sacrifices uh, to Baal or Moloch uh, of children, of men and women, virgins, um, the Babylonians and their black magic. Um, it goes all the way back to things like Sumer. Okay, uh, and every empire, Sumer, Babylon, um, Egypt, Persia, Greece, Rome, and currently, you know, the, the, English, the, the English empire for a while, and now what's going on in America. All of them have practiced three things in particular to control people. Number one is what's called money magic, okay? The use of a currency to control the population's minds. So if I convince you that this, this little coin, this, this, this uh, uh, gold coin is more valuable than this fish, I have to use some form of like a spell to convince you because you can't eat the gold coin, but you can eat the fish. You see what I'm saying? True, but I, I could rationally deduce that a monetary system will make it easier for me to trade goods and services. Well, yes, but, but the point is, is that if, that if that monetary system is owned by a certain person, then they control everybody. Hmm. Okay, if it is based in debt, then they control everybody. And the whole notion of the currency having value is an illusion. Do you see what I'm trying to say? So that's why I say money magic. Okay. Okay, because it's based on an illusion. And it's based on a a generally agreed upon illusion, right? When in all reality, the materials, the resources, the water, the food, those are what's really valuable. Right, and the money just symbolizes that. Yes. Okay. Okay. 
And the next thing is human slavery. Okay, so they have money magic, then they have human slavery that they use to objectify the individual. Okay, and a lot of the time it's the people that own the currency that have the slaves, or the people that have the most of the currency that have the slaves, right? Now, in our case, we are debt slaves, yes, but there's more slaves now than there ever has been in human history. Human and child trafficking, it's a modern day slave trade, right? Okay. So, that apparatus is being used to control the world because a lot of the same people that are involved in the child and human trafficking trade are also a part of these child sex trafficking rings that are being used by these people that own the monetary system to control governments, like with Jeffrey Epstein. Okay. Does that make sense? To, to some degree, the, the thing that keeps going back and forth, though, is <laughs> on the one hand, there are these kind of modest, what seem to me relatively modest claims about the corruption of governments. And then on the other hand, the, the, this more fantastical kind of claim about uh, like Moloch worshiping. Well, have you thing. seen what's going on in Bohemian Grove? No. You haven't looked at Bohemian Grove? Well, I think I might. Maybe I saw a video clip. Where they're of, worshiping the Owl God Moloch? I did see that. I did yeah, see the that, cremation yeah. of care. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, dude, Nixon was there. Uh, Reagan was there. Kissinger was there. Ford was there. I saw I saw this video and it was it is really freaky and bizarre and but didn't they or apologists for this group didn't they say oh it's just a kind of a joke it's kind of a show it's like summer camp you know you do a little it's like a play basically you know I don't know I, I believe no that, no no um, th- here's the thing I looked into that okay there's the test there's testimony of a guy named Zachary King who is an ex satanic wizard okay and warlock and this guy talked about how he did satanic rituals for the people in Bohemian Grove, okay? He also said he did them inside of abortion clinics. Hmm. While while doctors, these satanic doctors are doing abortions and literally basically giving the child soul to Satan. You can look it up. I believe that. Now, now another testimony. There's a kid named, uh, a guy, now he's a a man, but uh, at the time, a kid named Paul Bonacci that was trafficked by Lawrence King, the Nebraska Franklin cover-up. He was also, uh, he, he was also trafficked, um, according to him, in a location where there were massive trees. Bohemian Grove is in the Redwoods, okay? Mm. And the stuff that he talked about that he was forced to participate in is unspeakable. Like, you probably couldn't air it. But it's in my book. One Mind at a Time, A Deep State of Illusion by Jacob Angeli. If you want to check it out, it's on Amazon. It's only $9.99. But the point is, is that his testimony and the stuff that was going on in there is so bad. It's so unspeakable. Now, how does this relate to this idea of a cult, right? And how, and, and the third portion of the three, that you got the money magic, you've got the slavery, and then you've got human and child sacrifice. This is what has kept humanity in line for a long time. And it has to do with the ley lines, okay? So, a lot of these rituals that were being done, these murder rituals and stuff like that, human child sacrifice, were being done in temples or in locations that were built on the ley lines. And then so that really low frequency fear-based emotions and thoughts are being plugged into the grid system of the planet, you see? And those affect our minds, especially when it's done in public like it was. Because then everybody would worry and wonder, is the king going to choose my child? Is the king going to choose my daughter? She's a virgin. You know what I mean? Am I going to be a slave? All it takes is the king pointing at me and saying, that man is my slave now. You see what I'm saying? So it's about controlling, once again, the collective consciousness of humanity. 
Okay. It's about subversion and control. It's about, um, enslavement of the mind and the body. But first it has to be the mind. Now, this is where we get into something called full spectrum dominance. Have you ever familiar with that term? No. It's a military term. So full spectrum dominance means control in particular of the mind, psychological warfare. And therefore from the mind, you get control of the land, the sea, the air and the airspace, the subterranean, deep underground military bases, extraterrestrial or space satellites, chemical and biological agents, and technology, cell phones, computers, television, cell phone towers, radio, etc. And so these less than one percenters realized that they could not be God, right? But what they could so, do- and When is, you say the less than one percenters, you're saying it, it's not just some modern group. You're saying it's the same group that goes back to ancient Sumer or it's just- the, Yes. It goes, it goes back to just after the Garden of Eden. Same basically. familial lineages. And it's- and, and it, when, you, when you refer to this, you're saying this is just like a cult or- Yes. A, 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 well, well, but see, the thing is that a cult just means hidden from view. Okay. Or unseen. Okay. Okay. And it's reference to. So, so when I'm asking you to, uh, maybe this, that, that explains it. Because when I'm asking you to say, okay, but who is it? It's the CIA. It's the Illuminati. What is it? You're saying, no, by definition, the group has to be hidden from view. Well, by definition, a cult just means hidden from view. And these same entities have been doing this for centuries, for millennia. Okay. And it is based on the same familial lineages. For example, um, the royal family in England is uh, connected to a bunch of royal families in Europe, and they're all descendants, or they all have relations to Vlad the Impaler, Dracula. Okay. Now, another example would be how it is that these families, when their empires collapse, say in Sumer, then they moved to other places like Babylon, or then they moved to Egypt, or then they moved, you know, to, to Persia, or then Greece, and then et cetera, et cetera. The whole point here is, is that it's the same familial lineages, and it's the same DNA, okay? And they breed within their families, they breed within this very tightly knit group because this tightly knit group is the ones practicing these rituals and they've been doing it for thousands of years. And when they get initiated into these levels of the occult, which occult means hidden from view, it's, it's, it's like an interdimensional thing. It's like a practicing of evil witchcraft, black magic. Okay. Yeah. Now coming back to, uh, what I was saying before about the controlling of the mind and the populations. The full spectrum dominance uh, aspect of that, uh, of all this is this. These less than one percenters knew they could not be God, but they could play God within a system in which they have full spectrum dominance. You see, because then they control all of the water, all of the food, all of the air. They control all the resources. They control all the labor. They control the financial system, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the only way they can do that is by controlling our minds first. This is why we're seeing so much censorship. This is why we're seeing these psychological warfare campaigns and this trans uh, pedophile. It's really more of a pedophilia push, sexualizing children, you know, mutilating their generals, taking them for their, from their parents because of the state's authority, et cetera. Okay. It's, it's part of the reason why we're seeing the financial collapses and the mass pollutions, like the explosion at the chemical plant in, in Louisiana or the thing in East Palestine, Ohio, and stuff like that. It's about gaining farmland. It's about full spectrum dominance. 
Okay, and I had some, there was a guy on Spaces the other day that was saying that a lot of these train derailments are just so happen, they just so happen to be owned uh, or done by somebody, I think it's a a corporation that Bill Gates has a large stock in. And then they end up contaminating farmland that Bill Gates wants to own. You see, so once again, full spectrum dominance, it's about the food, you see. So presumably he wouldn't want to poison his own land. No, it's not about poisoning the land. What it's about is getting the farmers off of it. Okay. And then buying it up real cheap. At least that's what this guy on Spaces was saying. I'm not saying, I haven't done the research. The point I'm making though is that there are very real strategies for doing this, for gaining and keeping and maintaining full spectrum dominance. Now, the only way to defeat it is for us to awaken. This is why I say we have a crisis of consciousness. But so if if you're saying though that there has been this problem, this sort of evil group of people for all of human history and they're expressed in the royal families and you know they're part of it and all of these groups that going back to ancient babylon or wherever uh if this has always been a problem then why now why is now the q moment what to me if if you said, well, there's always been this corruption in the political order, I'd say, yeah, there's probably always going to be that corruption until, you know, the good Lord comes back again. But until that time, that's how it's going to go. Why not? Why show up now and try to retake the civilization? So are you familiar with the, the age of Aquarius? No, I know it's from a song. Well, no, it's, no. it's, it's, <laughs> this is the dawning and everything. Yes. Yes. That's from like, like hair, hair, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, they are referencing something far more ancient. Okay. What we're talking about is what's called the procession of the equinox. And it's when the, uh, constellations align with the rising sun on the equinoxes. Yep. Okay. And every 2,160 years, I believe, is a new age, okay, where a new constellation aligns with the rising sun during the equinox. We just came out of the age of Pisces, okay? I'm a Pisces. You're a Pisces? Okay. My age is gone. Okay. That's, we're past my well, age. Well, now, the age of Pisces, fish and water, right? And we're in the age of Aquarius, which is the people pouring the water, okay? So, it's almost like the... Now, now, this is important, and I'll get back to this whole idea of Pisces and Age of Aquarius. We also just completed a like 25 or 26,000 year cycle where we went through the whole zodiac. Okay. We completed that whole cycle. Okay. We are also completing what is called the Kali Yuga, which is like a 432,000 year cycle of a bunch of these 25,000 year cycles. Yeah. Okay. So remember how I was saying earlier about like the cycles of energy from higher dimensions to lower dimensions and, and all that stuff. Okay. So what this is about is the dispensing of energy in larger volumes here, not just in our galaxy, but in the universe, from the universe to the galaxy, from the galaxy to all the stars in the galaxy, including ours and our planet, all the way down to our bodies. And we're channeling this energy through our DNA, through this feedback loop with the energetic unified field. All right. Now, as the Kali Yuga ends, as this 25,000 year cycle we just went through ends, we're coming into what's called the golden age, where this knowledge that has been hidden, occult, 
This knowledge that has been hidden for so long now is revealed. The apocalypse just means lifting the veil or revealing the unseen, lifting the veil during a time of mass deception. So are we in the apocalypse? We are in the apocalypse. And it's not a bad thing. Think about it. Right now, it's not that the world is getting worse because it's always been this bad. What it is, is that the evidence of global corruption or government corruption is becoming so obvious Mm. that it's blowing people's minds and they don't know how to handle it because they're having a cognitive dissonance. Their mind is being changed. So the apocalypse, while it is something that happens in the world, it is largely something that happens in the mind because now you're seeing the reality. You're seeing the objective reality. And this is why I practice shamanism because I've been seeing this reality for over 10 years. (laughs) So, so, People say that you showed up in the horn hat to these political rallies and then the apotheosis of that is January 6th at the Capitol because you're a revolutionary. But you're saying, no, 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 I'm not a revolutionary. I'm heralding the apocalypse. Forget about a political revolution. We're talking about the end of time. We're talking about the a new age. And I am a evolutionary. I'm, ta- I'm going to use that. I, I'm an evolutionary, not a revolution. I want to evolve as an individual and as a society, so as then, a culture, as a race. As so a then what race. happens at every level? Individual, political, social, and cosmic. We're entering this new age. We're in the apocalypse. Energy is everywhere. What does that look like at, at all three of those levels? Okay, so are you familiar with cymatics? No. Okay, now I'm going to answer your question. So cymatics is i'm sure you've seen those those videos where they have like grains of rice or sand on like a plate or a speaker and then they they hit it with sound and then the pattern changes yeah okay that's cymatics okay and you can do the same thing with water molecules etc so the higher the frequency then the more complex the pattern and a lot of the time when the frequency changes from say a lower frequency to a higher frequency, there is a very brief period of time in between the transition where the, there is no pattern. Everything is all chaotic. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, boom, a new pattern snaps into place, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. what we're going through right now from about the 1960s to about 2040, okay, is this apocalypse, is this transition that is going to take place where the the chaos, there's no recognizable pattern because the frequency of the universe itself is transitioning from a lower frequency to a higher frequency, okay? And if you want to look at it like this, human beings are the grains of rice, the earth is the speaker, and the electromagnetic field around the earth is the frequency, And so we're being moved. Our thoughts, which are interconnected to the electromagnetic spectrum of the planet, our bodies interconnected to the electromagnetic field of the planet. Our emotions are connected to the electromagnetic field of the planet. All of these things are going to change. Okay. So I I like this image as as a symbol of history because history doesn't just move in a way where one day changes and the next day is a little bit different and, and it goes on ad infinitum. But no, there are ages of history as you describe. And so there can be major cataclysmic changes and then you get the beads of rice all shaken up and then a new world order emerges. So I, I kind of like that image. But now what is that going to look like? Individual, well, political, cosmic. Okay, so because our thoughts are going to change because our emotions are going to change. Our view of reality is going to change. And that also means, and this is, so 
I've seen, uh, I've had shamanic visions of the future, okay? I knew Barack Obama was going to be president in 2004. And you can ask my family. I was telling everybody. Is it just because okay? he gave that impressive speech at the No, 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 dude. I, I'm talking like a shamanic vision. I knew that he was going to be president. I knew he was going to create a caliphate in the Middle East with 10 countries, 10 Islamic countries. You can, I mean, you can ask my brother, okay? I, I'm telling you. So I've seen these visions. I've seen things, all right? There's two realities that we can choose. One is the transhumanist reality where we surrender our God-given rights to these globalists and we create a race of synthetic humans based on cloning and geoengineering and stuff like that. The planet itself, the, the pollutants don't stop. They just keep on spreading and spreading and spreading. They bioaccumulate in the system, in the, in the ecosystem. They destroy the water and the air. They destroy the soil. They destroy the food. And then eventually we have a Borg hive mind of AI-controlled synthetic human beings living on a radioactive rock, all right? And we don't have a seventh generation and the earth goes extinct, okay? That's one route. The other route is we awaken. We, more than this 5% that say no to the mass formation hypnosis, say no, we're not doing this. We are spiritual beings. We are connected to God. We have God-given rights. You don't get to tell us what to do. This is our planet and you, sir, do not get to tell us how to live on it, right? And when we do that, we will have organic humanity spiritually ascend, where we get into higher levels of frequency regarding our thoughts and our emotions. These higher levels of frequency mean more information is going to be channeled through our bodies, through our DNA with God and God consciousness, non-local consciousness. Now, what is that going to, what is that massive transformation going to manifest as far as global socioeconomics and geopolitics? Nikola Tesla in the early 1900s invented an infinite free clean wireless tower for distributing energy and it was built on the electromagnetic ley lines and it amplifies the positive and negative charge on these electromagnetic ley lines to a certain radius around the tower that gives people infinite free clean wireless electricity. Okay. Sign me up. Where do I plug well, in? Dude, that's the question. Now, why don't people know about this? Because J.P. Morgan, the Rockefellers, you know, the, all, all of the big bankers at the time suppressed this technology because they wanted to make money off of charging people for electricity. They wanted to make money off of oil. You see what I'm saying? They wanted to make money off of owning and controlling, full spectrum dominance, all of the resources and all of the labor in the country and in, on the planet. Nikola Tesla's invention is the antithesis of that. So what we'll see is we're going to see Tesla towers pop up all over the place. And we're going to see war become obsolete because all of our wars are over resources. So if we make resources infinite, war is obsolete. You don't think people have wars over ideas and culture in addition to resources? The motivation behind all wars are about owning the land and controlling the people and the resources, whether it be gold, water, food, whatever. Okay. You know, but like a holy war. I understand what you're saying, yeah. but, but the holy war is over what? The land. I don't know. I think it might be over the religion. Maybe not. Call me naive. I'm, what, I'm, just, but what I'm saying is that the religion is the excuse for the procuring of the land, just like, you know, weapons of mass destruction was the excuse for going in Iraq. But I, I guess the reason I'm pausing there is your explanation of it is a materialist explanation. 
that are, are highfalutin ideas about religion and culture and ideology. That's really all a facade to cover up core material interests like oil and money and land and the rest Gold. of it. So, so I hear you saying that at one moment, but then at another moment, you're speaking in a way that seems quite immaterial, quite divorced from just money and stuff. And you're talking about vibrations and ideas and God and, and all these, these metaphysical things. And, and so I'm wondering if there's not a contradiction there. Well, no, there's not. And I'll explain why um, as I unfold in this process of explaining about Tesla Towers and how it is that that's going to transform our consciousness. And then I'll speak to this idea of religious holy wars. So, most wars, I would say, all wars are fought over the, over the resources or the land. So if we make resources infinite, war becomes obsolete. We also would make all pollution obsolete because now we have an infinite, free, clean, wireless form of electricity. We don't need to drill for oil. We don't need natural gas. We don't need solar panels polluting the environment with their 50 toxic chemicals. We don't need wind turbines killing birds. And we certainly don't need lithium mining or cobalt mining, which all destroy the environment exponentially. And they create what are called anthropogenic chemicals or forever chemicals that pollute the ecosystem to the point to where they become toxic because of something called bioaccumulation. That bioaccumulation of these anthropogenic chemicals, which do not biodegrade, ends up killing off all the microbiological life in the soil and in the water. Okay? In order for life to exist, there has to be microbiological life in the soil and in the water. Otherwise, we don't grow food and there is no fish. Right? So... Pollution becomes obsolete because we have an infinite, free, clean, wireless energy. Also, the control over all of our communication towers, the cell phones, the satellites, the cell phone towers, computers, internet, Wi-Fi, all that goes out the window because now these Tesla towers can be used to communicate on a global scale. And we don't have to use the globalist-owned centralized grid system. And if you look into Ericsson and the Ericsson report and the way that they have been responsible for transmitting all the communication in the world— and how that stems back to like even the transmission of child pornography, military communications and things of that nature, how they're responsible for like telling Al-Qaeda and ISIS like where uh, soldiers, American soldiers were and how that led to the death of American soldiers. Then you can really see the danger behind centralizing our communication grid. Who, who did this? The, you're the, Ericsson, the government the com- did this? The company Ericsson. You haven't heard about the Ericsson report? No. Look into it. Okay. Ericsson. Um, I would say 93% of the time you say, have you heard about? The answer is going to be no. I, I do very minimal, you know, research on, on these sorts of things. So Ericsson is a company. International Communications, Telecommunications Corporation. Okay. And, you, and you're saying they told ISIS where American soldiers are? If I'm not mistaken, that's what the report says. Okay. Okay. So... And they're also responsible from what the report says that for responsible for the child pornography that's all around the planet. Because they're they're transmitting. transmitting And they know about it. At least that's what the report says according to what it it is that I... Now, I'm I'm disoriented because we're zooming in and zooming out. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, but don't apologize. I'm just trying to get a handle on it. And this is this is part of the Q thing, or this is just your own personal? No, dude. Look, Q is a very small part okay. of my story. Yeah. The media tried to make it a big one because then that's how they could create a straw man that they could then smear yeah. me and divide the country. Yeah, yeah. When these ideas are very unifying. You know, you said, sign me up. Infinite, free, clean, wireless electricity, sign me up. Yeah. Right? Everybody can feel that way. Republican and Democrat voters alike. So it will give us 
infinite free clean wireless electricity, new forms of a new form of communication, and, be, and both of these together is going to create economic surplus, right? Um, it will make war obsolete. And it can also allow us to purify the environment so we can get rid of the bioengineering, uh, stratospheric aerosol injections and all of the soft metals and barium and aluminum stuff in the atmosphere. We can also use it to um, help plants grow. So agriculture can be like through the roof because you can use these frequencies to help plants to grow like, like that. Okay. You can also use it to neutralize uh, pollution through combining these frequencies with bioremediation and fungus that eat radioactive material or eat contaminated soil with like diesel fuel and stuff like that. Okay. What I'm talking about is, is a real ecological evolution, a real agricultural evolution, a energetic evolution. And so the evolution of our minds is going to manifest as an evolution in technological innovation and as regards to medicine as well. Dr. Rife, that's R-I-F-E, Royal Raymond Rife. In the 1930s, he was working with Nikola Tesla on creating a machine that could destroy disease and viruses and cancer cells and all that stuff with sound and frequency. The way you can destroy a wine glass with sound and frequency, yeah. you can destroy disease with sound and frequency. This machine was suppressed. The Rockefellers who own big pharma in the modern pharmaceutical industry and in the medical industry, they suppressed it. They, they just look into Tesla and his story and look into Dr. Rife and his story. And what you're going to find are three things. Number one, government corruption at its inception here in the United States in the early 1900s. Number two, you're going to find all of the, all of the uh, uses for the devices that these men made, how it could transform agriculture, transform communications, transform energy, transform uh, weather manipulation and, and purifying ecosystems, how it could uh, change our entire global grid system. And then lastly, and this is the most important part, and this, this kind of comes back to this idea of Brand, bridging the physical and the metaphysical, like what you were talking about, okay? Nikola Tesla said, if you want to understand the secrets of the universe, think in terms of energy, frequency, and vibration, okay? In order to understand how Tesla towers work, in order to understand how Dr. Rife and his machine works to cure a disease, you have to know and understand energy, frequency, and vibration. So as people research this stuff, not only do they uncover government corruption, not only do they see the tools that we could use to free ourselves forever and purify the planet, but they also see the secrets of the universe and they unfold before people. And the bridging between the physical and the metaphysical, how these things come together and how ideologies that are based on separation are also rooted in parasitism and genocide. Say more about that. That last part, that ideology rooted in separation is, has to do with parasitism and genocide. What does that mean? Look at it like this. So in the Amazon, their definition of evil is the idea of investing in this idea of being separate from another person, from the environment, etc. That that's where evil comes from. Now, if you look into the work of Philip Zimbardo, the guy that did the uh, Stanford prison experiment, I'm not familiar. Not familiar with it. Oh, dude, you got to look into it. So Philip Zimbardo, he did the Stanford prison experiment where it basically discovered that um, even if it's just college students doing a drill or, a, or a, a play role of your guard, your inmate, there becomes this divide where the guards become abusive and authoritarian and the inmates become combative and revolutionary because of this dynamic, yeah. because of these roles, right? Opposing yes. interests and roles. Okay. Yes. So... 
he also went on, he was like, I think he was like a psychologist um, or a psychiatrist. He went on to investigate the origins of evil and the psychology of evil. He did a uh, lecture called The Lucifer Effect and the Psychology of Evil. And what he came to find was that there are three main things really that cause human beings to do evil things. Number one, dehumanization, either of a person or a group. Yeah. So the other, separation, right? Go ahead, hold on. Haven't you done that with these, the, these ancient peoples who are expressed through the British royal family and the Rockefellers and the, you know, all the terrible No, because people. I don't advocate for their death. But you're separating them. No, no. You're saying I'm, they're well, responsible I, for all the problems. No, it's, it's similar to identifying the root cause. I'm not, I'm not saying they're the other. There's a lot of people that want these people's heads. And I've said in a lot of spaces on Twitter that like, no, 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 no. That's not the solution. That's not the solution at all. The solution is if God hasn't taken these people's lives, we shouldn't either. We need to, we need to, yes, create an, uh, we need to stop this. But the only way to stop what they're doing, which it, what they're doing is based on separation. And because of their belief of separation, they have created a system that is parasitic on the environment and parasitic on human beings. And in the process, they've created mass extinctions of plant species, of animal species, genocide in foreign nations, displacement of whole populations, you know, the, tri the human trafficking trade, child sex trafficking. All of these things are based on this illusion of separation. Okay? So I look at them and I say, well, technically, they're a part of this unified whole. Okay? And what I'm advocating for is not the destruction of the old system. But making the old system obsolete by creating a new one. And you do that through helping people to understand what happened, why it happened, where it happened, when it happened, and how we can do something so much better, so much more quickly. That seriously, within a couple of months to a couple of years, we would see a whole new planet, a whole new world. So your vision sounds to me like a very optimistic, utopian, some might say, vision of, of heaven on earth, basically. Yes. Oh, it is going to be heaven on earth, yeah. This is the apocalypse. We're, we're, we're going to be, we're alive during the most exciting time in human history. This is the time that all the ancients pointed to and said, I want to be alive right there. I want to see what happens there. What if we're not? I, I say this because, you know, in the Bible, Christ says, nobody knows the day or the hour. Not even the son, only the father. Nobody, nobody knows. A lot of people throughout history have thought they were living in the end times, and they weren't. So what if we're not? Well, Christ also said um, many people throughout history have longed to see and hear what you have seen and heard and, not have, and have not seen and heard it. Yeah. Yes. So he announced, obviously, I say this as a Christian, I, I see the incarnation and the crucifixion and the resurrection as this heralding in of, of not only a new age, but as the pivot of history, totally, in the year of our Lord, zero AD. You're saying in this time we're living in between 1960 and 2040, this is, this is the apocalypse, and that's why it's also exciting, and that's why I'm wearing my horn hat, and that's why we're, there's a million people on DC, and that's why we're all getting so excited and energetic. But then I'm saying, well, what if how are you so sure? Because I've seen it. I've seen it. And uh, so many of my other visions of the future have come true. So, you know, it's a faith walk. And you have to go through the steps to get there. 
It's not just going to happen. I'm not, I can't just sit back and not do any interviews and not talk about it and not work for it, for it to not happen. Um, you have to work for it, but I'm willing to work for it. I hope you are. You know, if you, in the, this is where like transmitting this vision to others comes into play. So think about it like this. Klaus Schwab is talking about how um, everybody in the world is going to wear uniforms, live in 15-minute cities, and eat bugs. And you got people that are absolutely outraged by that. I'm laughing my rear end off because hmm. you, th- well, yeah, 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 that's going to happen. Good luck with that, Klaus. Putting that guy in a 15-minute city. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Yeah. And most people, it's not going to happen. So I laugh at him. I don't get angry at him. Now, the people that are getting angry, what they're allowing them to allowing Klaus Schwab to do is fill their minds with his vision of the future. Hmm. And hmm. in the process, he's plugging the collective consciousness of humanity with that vision of the future. And he is co-opting our creative abilities, our abilities to manifest and the law of attraction to bring that reality that he wants into this world. Now, you know, you, you've referred to that manifesting and law of attraction a couple of times. And as I understand it, the idea of manifesting is this idea that I can, through my psychic powers and my will, make things happen in the world. That I can, but, but not, not in the sense that, you know, I, I will for a glass of orange juice and therefore I'm going to go to the fridge and pour the glass of orange juice, but it, that it's deeper, that I can, in a way, cause the universe to bend, perhaps, to my will. Is that, am I saying that correctly? Yeah, kind of. You're, it's, it's a misconception. Okay. So it actually does have something to do with your ability to go to the fridge and get yourself some orange juice. Okay. Okay. It's think, say, do. So you think something. So you have a vision of what you want to do, right? You think it, which that is a, a higher level dimension of reality that you are accessing, okay. right? Because you're envisioning yourself doing something. Then you pick up your three-dimensional body you move it through the fourth dimension of time, and then you make that fifth dimensional reality that you just imagined a three-dimensional reality by pouring yourself some orange juice and drinking it. So then manifesting okay. is just... Well, no, no, I there's more thought. to it. Okay. There's more to it. Okay. So are you familiar with the observer effect in quantum physics? Yes. Okay. It's the idea that uh, a, a particle... Is will, also a wave of possibility. Yeah, and, and that your observation... Such a thing will affect. That is correct. Okay. Schrodinger's cat, you know. Sure. Um, So look at it like this. The double slit experiment, the observer effect, all of it plays into something called quantum computation. So our brain does something called quantum computation. With 40, 40 times every single second, we are collapsing the infinite amount of possibilities into a singular actuality. And this is happening, boom, 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 40 times every second, right? And it's kind of like a movie reel, you know, where it's one picture after another, after another, after another, creating a moving image, okay? Now, what I was saying earlier about the DNA and the sending and receiving of light and information, right? Our brains, all the way down to our bodies, are sending and receiving light and information. We are an antenna for non-local consciousness. We are sending information, light codes, electromagnetic codes, to the universe, okay, with our minds, electricity, an electrical signal. And then through the magnetic system of the heart, we are manifesting or drawing magnetically to us that reality. The heart is the strongest electromagnetic field in the body. Okay, this is why Christ said, 
knock and the door will be opened. Ask, it shall be given to you. Ask and you shall receive. Okay. And basically you have to be thankful in your prayer, prayers of gratitude, basically be thankful for the, the father already knows thy prayer. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So Christ was teaching people the mysteries of life and manifestation. This is what I'm saying. The shamans, the shamans knew. But so if manifest, if manifestation is just, I ask God for something and then God in, in his sovereign will gives it to me or doesn't, then it doesn't seem any different. No, that's not quite, the, that's not quite it. What you have to understand is your body is a tool. Okay. Okay. And it's a tool to send and receive electromagnetic signals. Okay. Okay. So the, the manifesting is a little different than what a Christian would traditionally think of as a prayer. Not, no, no, not at all. Okay. So it is, it's a form of prayer. Okay. But the thing is, is that what we're talking about is conscious prayer and unconscious prayer. Okay. So are you familiar with the work of Greg Braden? No. He has a book called The Lost Mode of Prayer, where he actually talks very heavily about what Christ talked about and how to pray and how Christ was an ancient Essene, which is like a cast of the Hebrew cast. I've, I've heard that theory, okay. which I don't, don't totally Don't prescribe to, to yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, have you heard the theory of John Allegro? No. The guy that wrote The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross? No. And about Jesus eating psychedelic mushrooms? Oh, I have heard that. Yeah, okay. I certainly so, don't subscribe to that. Well, I'm sure you don't. But the thing is, I'm telling you, it's true. Um, but anyway, that's either here nor there. The point is, is that what we're talking about here is using the mind and the body like a computer. Okay? So when you get on a computer, what's happening is that an electrical charge is going through the conductors in the computer system itself. It's channeling through microchips, which are made of metal, right? And the pattern of energy as it moves through those microchips is governed by software or an algorithm, a mathematical algorithm. And as that feedback loop continues over and over and over again, a very specific pattern gets created, right? Then that pattern ends up manifesting as code on the screen that we are able to then interpret and, and change based on the strokes of the keyboard and how that affects this pattern of electricity in the saw in the hardware does that all make sense basically yeah okay so the brain and the body are like that hardware and non-local consciousness is like that energetic signal yeah. that is moving yeah. through the mind and the body and we because we are interconnected to the whole of everything to this unified field through changing our thoughts and our emotions are therefore changing the pattern of electromagnetic activity in and around our bodies and therefore in the ecosystem. Okay. Now I see how, beginning with your premises, I see now I can understand how one would reach that conclusion. And I have to ask, shifting topics a little bit, but related in this way on interconnection. Did you just come up with this stuff yourself or did you discover this stuff yourself or like, what do your family and friends think about these views? Do they share your views or is it, or are you unique in this way? No, for, you know, uh, yes, they believe uh, some of the things that I believe, my family in particular. They don't have the ability to articulate it the way that I do or memorize it the way that I have. Um, speaking of interconnectivity, I mean, it, it's, all, it's all quantum entangled. The entire universe is quantum entangled. So this information is at everybody's fingertips. Everybody can get at this level. 
where they have all this information, they know all this data, they experienced things that are hyperdimensional, they've, you know, gone out of body and done astral projection and gone to the sun or whatever, you know, anybody can do it. The question is, is who's brave enough to try? Go to the sun? Oh yeah, dude. Dude, you can travel all over the solar system. You can travel to other star systems, man. How do you do that? Astral projection. Like what we're talking about, it's called bilocation. The, the, the government looked into it, they called it remote viewing. They just used it as a weapon to figure out what the heck the Soviets were doing. But you can do it, fly, you can fly into the upper atmosphere of the, of, the, of the planet. You can go to the sun. You know, I've walked across the surface of the sun. How was, I, I, how was it? Oh, dude, it was freaking awesome. It wasn't as hot as you might think. It wasn't as hot as Phoenix, Arizona <laughs> yeah, Phoenix today. Phoenix is pretty hot, yeah. yeah. You know, um, I've expanded my consciousness to, to sizes and scales that most people can't fathom. But that's because I understand the physics of it and I understand the metaphysics of it. I have two reactions to what you've just told me, which seem like they're kind of opposites. One is, there is a, there is a concept of bilocation in the Christian tradition, and great saints have been able to bilocate. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I know there are going to be a lot of people watching this who say, what the hell are they talking about? Bilocation, that's the craziest thing. That's not the craziest thing I've ever heard. I've heard of great saints doing it, and I see no reason why our Lord in uh, miraculous ways could uh, make such things happen in the natural world that he created. Uh, I have no theological problem with that at all. But then on the flip side of it, um, how do you know that you did it? You know, couldn't you just have been imagining what the sun was like? Well, here's the thing. Yes and no. There has been a number of synchronicities that have occurred after I've done things like this where I'm just like, like, that actually happened. Like, like, I knew what I was experiencing and I had the faith the size of a mustard seed that, that it was possible. And so it became a reality for me. What are some of these synchronicities? Oh, like, so creating storms, lightning storms, thunderstorms, rain, and watching it happen. Um, dude, like if I were to tell you, you wouldn't believe I have the video evidence. I'm, I'm not going to share it just yet, but there's, dude, there's things I've accomplished that are unbelievable. And it's so cool because the thing is, is like, while I'm special, I'm nothing special. You can do these things too. I could teach you how to do them. You just have to have faith the size of a mustard seed to do it. You know? Oh yeah, dude. Like I, I could go on and on and on. I'm writing a book right now, an autobiography. Um, I also have videos about it where, that are out there, but they got taken down by YouTube when my, my social media got taken down. And I haven't released them yet because I have all this public, like, you know, recognition now. If I were to come out and say, oh, guess what? <laughs> you know, they'd be like, that guy is nuts. And I would much rather have people be invested in Tesla Tower technology and Dr. Rife right now than their own ability to bilocate. The reason I ask about the friends and the family is because, you know, maybe they say, look, Jacob, we love you, buddy, but uh, you're completely insane. This is the craziest thing I ever heard. Do they react that way or, or do they buy it? Well, the thing is, is I have family members that have had paranormal experiences, have been in the backyard with me when we've all seen UFOs or UAPs and that are completely unexplainable. Um, I have also had family members have very similar experiences to myself regarding um, deja vus, the predictions of the future. Before we get to deja vu and predictions, I have to, I have a, 
an issue with my colleague and my friend, Matt Walsh, and we argue, I don't believe in aliens, he believes in aliens, it's a whole thing. You say you've seen UFOs. Is it alien? You believe in aliens or no? They're not aliens. Okay, so look at it like this. Do you believe in angels and demons? Yes. Okay. Angels and demons are interdimensional entities. UFOs or extraterrestrials are interdimensional entities. We are talking about entities that exist in dimensions that are layered on top of our own, but that we don't perceive with our five senses. This is part of the role of the shaman. So you're saying, this is what I say. I say either people are just imagining the alien stuff or they're demons. And you're basically saying that I'm right and Matt Walsh is wrong. No, what I'm saying is that they're angels or demons and you can judge a tree by its fruits. Now think about it. In the Bible, whenever anybody saw an angel, what was one of the first things the angel said? Be not afraid. Be not afraid. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Because when you experience these things, it is so boundary dissolving. It is so intimidating because it's so interdimensionally incredible that the first inclination is to be afraid, right? An evil interdimensional entity wants people to be afraid because they feed on that, right? Angelic or a positive interdimensional entity is going to say, don't be afraid. It's all good. I'm here to help. But sometimes the Christian view is that demons sometimes disguise themselves as angels of light. So they pretend to be really nice, but they're evil. Yes. Well, you judge a tree by its fruits. Vet the spirits, right? You know, test the spirits. Um, An angel is never going to ask you to hurt yourself or somebody else. An angel might ask you to go through something difficult. But there's larger interdimensional implications to that difficult journey. This is why shamans go through ordeals. This is why Christ did the 40 days and 40 nights in the desert. It's why he went through the passion because he understood the interdimensional implications for humanity as a whole, for generations to come, for millennia to come behind doing these things and banishing evil from Israel when 40 days and the 40 nights get behind me, Satan, you know, or the passion and going through that and then rising three days later, which I believe that Christ did rise, but I think it's because he achieved something called rainbow body, which they've talked about in Tibet for a very long time, which is essentially spiritual ascension. Rainbow body? Rainbow body. You can look it up. It's mind-blowing stuff. There's there's images of people achieving rainbow body inside of a cave, and there are these massive rainbows all over their silhouette. And then outside the cave, there's like footprints or handprints where they vitrified their prints into stone. You know what vitrification is? Where gla- uh, rock becomes glass? Oh. It gets heated so high that it becomes glass. No. So uh, there's also, what happens is that it, with rainbow body is that rainbows start wafting off of the person's body. And along with those rainbows come the scent of like jasmine and perfumes and like roses and stuff like that. Very pleasant. It sounds and, like the month of June in Greenwich Village. You know, there's a lot of rainbows, a lot of lavender and perfume coming off people's but They're not angels. They're not. Yeah. Well, well, this has been documented over 100,000 times in Tibet. Hmm. And what happens is that the body shrinks down to like a Cabbage Patch doll body of ash. Right. And then they have these shrines where they like put this, these, these, these beings in these shrines to prove rainbow body exists, that it's real. And then above this cabbage patch doll body of ash, you see this person's rainbow body, their soul. They have literally ascended and they can do whatever they want in the physical world. They have ascended beyond it. And that's why I think that I've heard once that in the shroud of Turin, mm-hmm. that it's not actually blood, but it's actually burn marks. Yep. Yeah, so yeah. it's burn like marks be- because he ascended mm-hmm. to this level of rainbow body in the Shroud of Turin. 
and well, it left radiation. That is, in, in as much as we have a, a, an explanation of the Shroud of Turin, which has the, the image of what looks like a guy who was tortured and crucified, um, it's, a, it's a photographic negative. So it, it, would, it wouldn't be paint, it wouldn't be blood or anything like that. It would be, it would be a light in a, a way that's not totally dissimilar from what, what you're describing. Yeah. So, so you, you believe in the resurrection, but not in the unique resurrection of Christ. In, in, you're saying we kind of could all access this by raising our consciousness, and that's part of what you're doing. So then I, we, I keep going back and forth here as I hear more about your life and your vision, because on the one hand, it seems so pie in the sky. On the other hand, it seems so uh, nuts and bolts. You know, I'm going to go to the Capitol on this day, or I'm, go- I'm going to support this candidate over this candidate, or we're going to build this kind of tower, not this kind of tower. But then on the flip side, we're talking about the age of Aquarius and going to visit the sun and rainbow bodies and stuff like that. So in the short term, in the next six months, one year, two, we're coming up on a presidential election. I don't know. What, what are you after? Well, spiritual ascension, peace, love, unity, freedom, forgiveness, prog- like evolutionary progress you know, for humanity, for the planet, saving, the, saving humanity and saving the planet and all life thereon. That's what I'm after. Yeah, but I'm what else? Saving the seventh generation, okay? Because that is very much in jeopardy right now. Not just our own seventh generation, but all over the planet, all species, plant, animal, fungus, amphibian, insect alike. And so how, how will you do it? You'll write books. You'll give media interviews like this one. I think this is your first sit Big, down. big, this big, first one. big one. Yeah. Since you've gotten out of, out of jail. Will you, are you supporting one candidate over another candidate politically? Well, I don't much like Ron DeSantis, to be honest with you. There's a number of things that he's done that I just don't agree with. Um, There's also a number of things that Trump has done I don't agree with, but I support Trump for many reasons. You know, I'll put it this way, though. I don't think any candidate right now is saying what truly needs to be said. What needs to be said? Well, that's quite another conversation entirely, sir. Um, What needs to be said is not the raw, raw, raw talking points. We got to secure the border. You know, the Biden administration is a travesty. Uh, We need to get our economy back on track. I mean, Mike Pence is like a great example of of a raw, raw, raw rhino Republican. Like the interview we did with Tucker Carlson, it's like, God... I can't tough. believe he's actually running. Like, it, was, it was tough. Yeah, it's, it's cringe, you know. Um, so all of, even, even God lover, even Carrie Lake, they're all kind of saying the same stuff. Nobody's explaining how it is that we got here. Nobody's explaining how it is that we're going to move forward. Nobody's thinking centuries ahead. Everybody's talking about two years from now or a year and a half from now, the next election. It's like, bro, if we learned anything from the Trump administration, four years of having our, one of our guys in office is not enough. And it's, it's a fourth of the problem. So let's talk about that. The bureaucracy, the deep state. The deep state is comprised of all three branches of government, legislative, judicial, and executive, being consolidated into a single branch of government that is constituting a fourth branch of government. It's a bureaucracy. 
And this is what the founders defined as tyranny. That's why they split the branches up, because the crown owned judicial, legislative, and executive. They could write the laws, enforce the laws, and adjudicate the laws. Okay, that was tyranny. That's why the founders split it up and had checks and balances. Okay, the bureaucracy, these bureaucratic agencies, which there are over 500 of them that are in charge with regulating commerce. Okay, they write the regulations for commerce. In other words, they're writing a form of law. Okay, and then they have their own law enforcement for their agency that enforce those regulations. So that's executive. So now you got legislative. You got executive and they have their own administrative courts that are outside of the federal court system. That's judicial. That's tyranny. Okay. That is, and it's these bureaucrats and these bureaucratic agencies that are colluding with corporate interest, international corporate interest, international banking interests to move money from public hands into private hands. So I, I agree that most candidates are just talking about fairly superficial quotidian kind of things and not getting to deeper problems. But when it comes to the bureaucracy and this issue of unelected, unaccountable people writing most of the laws, I think most of the GOP candidates actually are kind of mentioning it at the very least. But Trump, they're not it, explaining it. DeSantis, yeah. They're not explaining it, are they? No, they're just saying the deep state. We got to drain the swamp. Yeah, it's the deep state. Oh, it's a deep state. It's the boogeyman, basically. And it's like, well, unless you understand the root of the problem, and if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it fully. So these people need to explain simply if they expect people to believe they can solve the problem. They need to explain simply what the problem is. And nobody's done that yet that I can see. Okay. I just explained it to you in two and a half minutes. Okay. And I can also explain to you how we can change it in two and a half minutes. Okay. All you have to do is get enough people in the legislative branch to create legislation that either changes or defunds these bureaucratic agencies. Simple as that. And so that means you have to have somebody in the White House that is in agreement with that agenda. And you have to have somebody in the legislative branch, enough people in the legislative branch that are for that agenda, that see the problem and want to fix it. But the thing is, is that the people that are in D.C. that are representing the people are actually representing these corporations that are working with the bureaucracy. Yep. They're representing the banks that are working with the bureaucracy and the Fed. You see what I'm saying? So it's getting Trump in office in 2024 is only a fourth of the problem. Because if we don't have the Congress, then we don't have anything. It's a stalemate. And if we have the Congress and the, the, the White House, okay, that's cool. But how many people in the Congress are willing to dismantle the, the corrupt bureaucracy? Now, it's not all about defunding these agencies. A lot of it, what it's about is restructuring them, getting people like Fauci out and putting somebody in that isn't going to stand in the way of things like cures for cancer, isn't going to take all this public money and put it in the private hands of the pharmaceutical companies. You see, and that's across the board is that there's people like Fauci in every single administrative uh, bureaucratic agency. So would you run for office? You know, Gandhi never ran for office and he did a lot of good I don't like the idea of having to do all that paperwork. You know, I, they make it difficult on purpose. You also, if you're going to run for like president or something, you need to like spend like, I think it's like a hundred grand to apply or something like that. It's expensive. To yeah. It, yeah. And I don't have that kind of money. You know, I, I don't. So what I want to do is I want to hold the people that are running accountable. And if they can't say what it is that I'm saying, then that is contrasting their legitimacy. 
If somebody that's wearing horns and face paint can understand the problems of the world and explain them more simply than somebody that's running for president, we have a problem. <laughs> I agree. That, that would represent a major problem. Jacob, it has been a great pleasure to get to pleasure meet you. Pleasure has been mine. Thank you, Thank you. for sitting down. Uh, best of luck in all of your future endeavors, and I suppose we'll look forward to part two when you can speak more openly after this uh, motion. motion resolves itself, hopefully, happily. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. God bless. <laughs>